everyone. Welcome to Emmaus Way. It feels like a summer night, much to my disappointment. <laughs> I'm going to start out with a song uh, called Hard Sun. Forty nights, 
Casey, there are songs that talk about the world as we might like it to be, and there are songs that tell the truth about the world as it is. That feels like one of the latter to me. And in a week where we're going to grapple with a text that starts, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, it felt like a good place to start. So thank you for being with us tonight. Uh, Welcome to Emmaus Way. My name's Ben. I'm on staff here with Mark and Molly and Elizabeth and other folks. And... Before we get very far into any week, we always turn to our kids to lead us in a community song. And so I'm going to do that right now. kids, and as they go off to their respective rooms, I'll say, we're glad you're here again. Um, yeah, a couple, several event-type things coming up that we just wanted to note. One was, yeah, Molly reminded me just a second ago that our friends Lola and Humber through town, is it this week, this Thursday at the Pinhook, to do an album release show for an album they dropped uh, about a week ago, I guess, and yeah, we haven't... If you haven't seen them in a while, which I mentioned, they haven't been here in a while, so many of us haven't, that'd be a good chance to engage them and hear their work. And is it right that you are part of... You well, are, Skylar and I are opening the show. So there you go. It's a twofer. Skylar and I, Skylar and I being yeah. Casey and Skylar, <laughs> are opening. So yeah, a great time to see a lot of Mayus Way friends perform. And Casey, you still have one more week on your Swest Residency. This Wednesday is the last one. And what time is that again? At the cave? In... At 9 o'clock on Wednesday. Okay. 9 o'clock Wednesday, the cave in Chapel Hill. Yeah. yeah. So, those are a couple things happening. Anybody else? Carlos, anybody else? You got a thing you know? Nothing? Dan? Regular gig at the station. Yeah? It's the Thursday evening. Thursday evenings at 9. 9. Jazz stuff? Gypsy jazz. Gypsy jazz at the station. Dan Hall and friends. This is the last one this Thursday. Oh, okay. So it's your last chance to cast both the Swest residency and Thursday night. If you're in Carborough, Arcana Friday night. 
Oh, okay, an Arcan on Friday night. Which is a band, <laughs> There are lots of opportunities to see MASMA musicians at work in, in the days that close out this week. So, a few of those things. Also, Ash Wednesday coming up, and we sort of confirmed with reality that we are going to be meeting here. March 1st, Wednesday, March 1st at 6.30, half hour, family-friendly. <coughs> we hope you'll join us. Yeah. It's been a thing we've loved to do. Have that service, Confer Ashes, Open Lent together, and we'll be doing that again this year. And then, yeah, I'll, I'll just say that... It's, just to introduce sort of tonight's topic and question as we've been doing early on in each week, we've been talking through this concept of sanctuary during Epiphany, and we're sort of coming to the end of that. This is the penultimate week. Um, Before spending, I think, a lot of time next week just really clearing the space and saying, as a community, having grappled with this for six weeks, what do we make of this sanctuary idea and how it fits in our lives going forward um, into Lent and, and, and the year ahead But this week, we wanted to grapple with one of the tougher texts that's often used around sanctuary, often to, like, push back against some of the texts we've looked at in previous weeks. And it is this Romans 13 text, out of which we're asking the question, what does respecting authority mean for people that are dedicated to sanctuary in the ways that we've talked about in recent weeks? So, yeah, be mulling that over. That's going to be the core of our kind of dialogue tonight. And if I anything announcement wise I missed. And if you want to dialogue. That's about it. right. Yes, we're still generating these questions weekly at text group, um, which is meeting on Tuesday mornings. I think we're at Fosters this week, eight fifteen Fosters. If you want to keep being part of the conversation that generates these questions and our dialogue week to week. Beyond that, I think I'm welcoming Mark and folks back up. Julie Miller song, but uh, I first heard it from Emmylou Harris doing it on her Wrecking Ball album, which is a fantastic album uh, that Daniel Lenoir produced for her. And uh, that is a fabulous record from start to finish. If you haven't heard it or don't know it, Emmylou Harris, Wrecking Ball, great album. Uh, and this is the song off of there that I know, All My Tears.
gold and silver blind the eye Temporary riches lie Come and drink from heaven's door Come and drink and thirst no more So even not for me, my friend When my time below does For my life belongs to Him Who will raise the dead again Now it don't matter where you've been I'll be home and I'll be free It don't Occasionally, uh, Ben and I will kind of joke that that uh, this song can kind of work on any on any given week. <laughs> it's a, it's sort of what we would call a flex song, um, but I think it's a beautiful, beautiful song uh, by Bruce Coburn, uh, who's written some really, really wonderful things over the years. He's recorded a lot of albums, and and uh, this is uh, this is off of one called "Stealing Fire." I think I think that's right. It's from the '80s, but it's a great song. Um, I think that this. And I, say, I think I say this every single time that, that we do it, but, um, but I love this line in the last verse uh, that says, nothing worth having comes without some kind of fight. You have to kick at the darkness till it bleeds daylight. I love that, that sense of um, you know, thinking about uh, submitting to authorities. How do we... Uh, what, what does like, nonviolent protest look like? Um, what is our sort of role in our job? It seems like seems like part of our job is, is kicking at the darkness till it bleeds daylight. Yeah. 
hours grow shorter as the days go by You never get to stop and open your eyes One day you're waiting for the sky to fall Next you're dazzled by the beauty of it all Fragile bodies of touch and taste Vibrant skin, this hair like lace Spirits open to the thrust of grace There's never a breath you can't afford to waste Thanks so much, Mark, Casey, Dan, and Tim. Um, good evening. So glad to see you. Um, I'm always surprised in the spring when people show up to church. I don't know what that says about me, but whenever it's really beautiful outside, I'm like, oh, people came to church. It's so great. 
Um, I was picking daffodils all morning and wanted to keep doing it, but I wanted to be here also. So thanks for coming. Just know that every Sunday in the spring, I'm like, my heart is strangely warmed um, when people come. Um, So yeah, let's pass the peace and then we'll get together to talk about this challenging, interesting text from Romans, but greet someone you maybe haven't talked to in a while, um, grab some food, coffee, and water, and we'll be back in just a minute. Um, Would someone start off the night by reading the text for us, Romans 13, 1 through 10? Anybody? Great, thanks, Jim. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. <coughs> Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you wish to have no fear of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do what is wrong, you should be afraid. For the authority does not bear the sword in vain. It is the servant of God to execute wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants, busy with this very thing. Pay to all what is due to them. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Revenue to whom revenue is due. Respect to whom respect is due. Honor to whom honor is due. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandment. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Thanks so much, Jim. So, on Wednesday... Three Durham police officers shot four bullets in the back of an unarmed 24-year-old black man. And when his mother tried to approach the body, they told her that they would shoot her too. On Thursday, in a press conference, our president proclaimed, We're a very powerful nuclear country and so are they. I have been briefed and I can tell you one thing about a briefing that we're allowed to say because anybody that ever read the most basic book can say it. Nuclear holocaust with Russia would be like no other. They're a very powerful nuclear country, and so are we. The greatest thing I could do politically is shoot that Russian vessel ship that's 30 miles offshore of Connecticut right out of the water. On Friday, a Mexican immigrant and her six-month-old daughter fled across the Canadian border because, as she said, it's safer to be detained in Canada and work toward refugee status there, then wait here, wondering if and when ICE might come and take her and separate her from her child. And today, we remember the 75th anniversary of Executive Order 9066. This order authorized the Secretary of War 
to prescribe certain areas as military zones, clearing the way for the internment of Japanese Americans, German Americans, and Italian Americans to concentration camps in the United States during World War II, a dark stain on our history. But we're told, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. I don't know about you, but I'm wondering what the hell Paul was thinking about when he talked about submitting to and respecting authority, when authorities act like this. And how in the world are we to realistically respond as sanctuary people? A few things to note. Paul's advice found here in Romans was written before his imprisonment and prosecution in Rome. Paul also wrote with a pretty sharp eschatological bent, i.e. like thinking about the end of the world coming soon thinking the present social system in which they found themselves wouldn't be lasting much longer because, hello, Jesus was supposed to be returning quickly. And Paul wrote to a people living under a dictatorship, an empire, and while it extends to behavior outside the church and includes a program of obedience and cooperation with government authorities, Paul never states he considers it an ethical problem for a citizen to resist illegal or unethical acts by the state. Notice also that Paul says, pay to all what is due them, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. That wording, that Greek would imply that there are those to whom respect might not be due and to whom honor is not due, i.e. there are limits. Or as another scholar puts it, the crucial point is that even though Paul affiliates with the authorities at the public level, he persuades the audience to resist them, especially when it comes to imperial worship at the hidden level. In other words, Romans 13 is a double-voiced discourse in the sense that it conveys both the voice of assimilation and the voice of resistance. Paul affiliates with the colonial authority while at the same time resisting it, for knowing or choosing when to affiliate and when or how to resist are part and parcel of negotiating life and power in a colonial situation. Stated more simply and in another way by a dukedive prof, Paul exaggerates the point of obedience to governing authorities to play the game of the elites, almost in mockery fashion, when really Paul reinstates our call, first and foremost, is always love. Love for everyone. Love that this text is surrounded by. For you see, Paul begins in Romans 12 with a startling call to resist conformity, speaking to people living in the midst of a powerful and ruthless empire, and yet Paul exhorts his audience to love genuinely, to hate evil, and to hold fast to what is good. Such encouragement to love applies not only to friends, according to Paul, but also to enemies, those who persecute. For we're told in Romans 12, 17 through 21, do not repay anyone evil for evil, 
but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will keep burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And Paul seamlessly launches into our Romans text today, right after writing that. It is clear that the enemies in view are these authorities. And into that truth we are told, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So, what does respecting authority, respecting even our enemies in authority mean as a sanctuary people? Maybe, just maybe, it's not submission to authorities as greatest respect, but love as the greatest respect as sanctuary people. Maybe we're to recognize love as the overarching reality as people captivated by the gospel. And perhaps we are to see how Paul was playing into the realities of the day and recognize that as people of privilege, love is often a lot harder than submission to authorities. Now let me stop here and say I'm not talking about love as like sappy Hallmark kind of love that we celebrated on Tuesday that caused some of us, i.e. me, at the last minute to create this really beautiful felt heart-shaped banner to have over our like window where we eat dinner that James didn't even notice, you know? Like not that kind of love. Not that kind of sappy love. Nor am I talking about the kind of love that is passive and easy. No, I'm talking about the kind of love that comes in the form of agitation and pushing the powers that be. I'm talking about the kind of love that holds intention, standing with the oppressed while not demonizing the oppressor. I'm talking about the kind of love Will Campbell, this beautiful Baptist bootleg preacher, articulates this way. We're all bastards, but God loves us anyway. I'm talking about the kind of love that believes there is no one and surely no entire people in whom the image of God has been utterly extinguished. I'm talking about the kind of love for all people that pushes one to be a person of civil disobedience rather than a passerby or a violent responder, believing that anyone can be transformed regardless of the past. The kind of love not writing off whole groups of people as intrinsically racist and violent for that very same premise upholds racist and oppressive regimes. I'm talking about a love that costs something, a kind of love that disturbs our conscience and causes us to respond, respond to the authorities, and even respond to those we most despise. I'm talking about the kind of love that might cause us to break a law because our conscience tells us it is unjust and we willingly accept the penalty of imprisonment in order to arouse the conscience of the community around us. And in doing so, we're 
we're experiencing and engaging and expressing the highest respect of the law, the highest respect to our authorities. Or as Henry David Thoreau puts it, if the injustice is part of the necessary friction of the machine of government, let it go. Perchance it will wear smooth, certainly the machine will wear out. But if it is of such a nature that it requires you to be the agent of injustice to another, then I say break the law. Let your life be a counter friction to stop the machine. What I have to do is to see, at any rate, that I do not lend myself to the wrong which I condemn. I'm talking about the kind of love that makes one check her privilege to go stand out on the front lines with persons of color and our LGBTQ brothers and sisters whose bodies continue to be dragged in the mire of this world and beaten and bruised. And we go and we stand there and we stand with, not for our own self-satisfaction as a lot of us white liberal progressives, but we go and stand there because that is where Christ is. I'm talking about the kind of love that is more complex than the 10 minutes of me speaking or of our dialogue that's going to happen after. The kind of love that requires continual transformation. I'm not talking about the kind of love that pushes us. I'm talking, I am talking about the kind of love that pushes us to respond with morality, no matter who is in office or who our ruler might be talking about a kind of love toward authorities that causes us to be pastoral, helping our authorities recover their humanity, the kind of love that caused Jesus when walking around the hills and valleys of Palestine, looking out at the Roman Empire with all of her fascinating and intricate military machinery, in the midst of that saying, I will not use this method but neither will I hate you. For love presents a change for all parties to rise above our present condition and become more of what God created us to be. Sixty years ago, almost exactly, at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, Martin Luther King Jr. proclaimed, We must discover the power of love, the power, the redemptive power of love. And when we discover that we will be able to make of this old world a new world, we will be able to make humanity better. Love is the only way. Jesus discovered that. And as I look into your eyes and into the eyes of all my brothers and sisters in Alabama and all over America and over the world, I say to you, I love you. I would rather die than hate you. And I'm foolish enough to believe that through the power of this love, somewhere, humans of the most recalcitrant bent will be transformed. And then we will be in God's kingdom we will be able to matriculate into the University of Eternal Life because we have the power to love our enemies, to bless those persons that cursed us, to even decide to be good to those persons who hated us. And we even prayed for those persons who disrespected us. 
Oh God, help us in our lives and in all of our attitudes to work on this controlling force of love, this controlling power that can solve every problem that we confront in all areas. He goes on to say, Oh, we talk about politics and governmental authority. God, grant that all humanity will come together and discover that as we solve the crisis and solve these problems, the international problems, the problem of atomic energy, the problem of nuclear energy, and yes, even the race problem, let us join together in a great fellowship of love and bow down at the feet of Jesus, giving us this strong determination. In the name and spirit of this Christ, we pray. Amen. Maybe, just maybe, as a sanctuary people, MLK's words can become our words, our prayer, our answer to tonight's framing question. What does respecting authority mean as a sanctuary people, as a people captivated by the gospel? Maybe, just maybe, we discover love. Maybe, just maybe, love is what respecting authority in times such as these really means. So as is becoming our practice, I'm up here to sort of facilitate um, our conversation around this question. What does respecting authority mean for sanctuary people? But just for a second, let's, let's sit quietly in that. Just for a second. So then, in this text, in Molly's words, in these songs tonight, in your life this week, in your unique perspective on the world, which we would say there's, God is out there and you're seeing him at work, how would you respond to this question? What does respecting authority mean for sanctuary people? Or maybe to extend it just slightly, what does this kind of love look like if you borrow Molly's? Like 
a mother wanting to cover and touch the body of her son as he's dying. Um, you know, but also in terms of questions about people who are fleeing regimes of violence um, coming into this land. Um, so then the question becomes, what what do we do? Like not, not hypothetically, you know, if you were in Germany in 1944, and um, which you know, I hope to God I would do the right thing. I I have ideas about what I think that is, um, but I also know that it's not. It was not a minor question for when people faced that. Right? And so then, as we consider um, a world, not just a country, but a world that looks like it's filled with incredible amounts of brute violence, what is our posture towards government? And it seems so clear to me that Paul died at the hand of the state. And he used all of his powers within the state to try to proclaim a different Lord um, to the point that he was like, I appeal to Caesar because he wanted to argue his case for Caesar. So I, I don't necessarily know the best way forward, but I feel very grateful for this question. I feel very grateful for a community that's willing to ask the hard question. How, how are we to be shelter and sanctuary? How are we to need it and when it costs us something, I hope to God we do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. I think something that came to me listening to Marley and to others, including Christina, was um, part of maybe being a space of sanctuary or a people of sanctuary, especially for others who could be marginalized, might be. It may be even respecting, the better way to put it, we, we hear the phrase tossed around the, the platitude, you know, dissent is patriotic. Well, maybe in some cases, dissenting against those in authority is not, it's not, it's not disrespect to authority, it's disrespect to the person that may hold the authority. In other words, we may, we may be in a position where we are asked to respect the position from which the authority Comes, but not necessarily the person that holding it is holding it because that person may not be virtuous, may not be worthy of the respect. Kind of like what it seemed like Paul was saying, you know, kind of a caveat. Like we might have to respect the position. The position of authorities might uh, might be something that's you know, okay, it's there, it exists, but the people, or the persons that are in them in those positions, maybe they don't deserve our respect. It doesn't mean that violence or anything like that, but I think sometimes there's, there are ways to, to push back where we can still respect the position from which the authorities should emanate while not showing so much respect for, for things that are unethical or legal in the world. Yeah, it's that language of to whom it's due, right? Yeah. It seems to there's a really pointed space in there. Yeah. I have a contrasting example of that, where, where the respect is to the person. No, yeah, the respect is to the person, but not to the system <coughs> representing. And um, this came about 
at one of the protests in the state legislature a couple of months ago when there was a move to take away powers from the incoming governor. And um, so I, I went to that one, and I was in the, um, the balcony of the Senate where they were beginning to pass these laws, and um, protests broke out. Um, people were chanting, and the, the fellow standing next to me was, was standing up and chanting these words down into the well of the Senate. Um, after people had left, after the Senate had sort of uh, disbanded and they were just kind of milling around, and, but he, he kept chanting these words. And he wasn't doing it in a mean-spirited way, but he was being assertive. He was making himself heard. And the, the uh, I don't know what they're called, the police, the guards, the... Whatever. In authorities. The, the, the authorities, thank you. Um, uh, came in and started arresting people. Um, I was totally chicken. They, they, I was standing by the door waiting to see how long I could stand there before I got pushed out. And he says, are you resisting, are, are you, uh, resisting arrest? Mm. I said, no. <laughs> no, I'll leave. Uh, but this other guy stayed. And uh, the, the authority went right up to him, just face to face. And, and I said, you must stop. And, and the man said, said to him, respectfully but forcefully, I cannot do that, sir. Hmm. And then he kept on hmm. chanting this. And he says, you must stop. I cannot do that, sir. And so I, I heard in that comment a resistance mixed with respect. Hmm. Hmm. And he was handcuffed and taken out. Hmm. Yeah. That, that just, like... Reminds me, maybe this is silly, but like of being aware of where your voice is important and like who you're talking to. Like complaining about your food to your waiter at the t- restaurant is not really effective because they they aren't responsible for the quality of the food that was prepared for you, right? But like, like so this, I guess I'm just saying, like yes, like respect those. Who are doing? Wearing, I, I don't know. I don't know. Wearing the badge. That, like, wearing the badge that represents the system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, respect isn't the same thing as submission, either. Mm-hmm. Well, he submitted himself to the to the uh, handcuffs. Sure, but I mean, like, I mean, I meant submission as in like just mm-hmm. all right, whatever you say, I'm on board. Mm-hmm. You know, that that sounds great. Um, right. you know, we can't. You can't. There's no dissent. There's no. Well, I think we could do it a different way. It's just, yeah. all right, you're the boss. Let's yeah. go. And in Jim's example, there's several levels of that, right? There's like sitting at home, oh, well. I, and then there's Jim's level of like being really my, present. My chicken roll. Yeah, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. But yeah, you're very much present, active, fit, but not. And then there's your, yeah, your friend who, yeah. So you, I cannot allow that. Those are, those are like shades of... I don't know what the continuum is of like respect to submission, but it's not. It's even that's not even or. It seems. So I'm going to take this in a my sort of churchy background direction, but like I think it comes down to the example of Jesus before Pilate. Um. Jesus' 
statement to Pilate was that was my kingdom is not this world. And if my kingdom was of this world, my followers would be fighting for me. And I think there's an element of submission in that attitude of we have a different kingdom that we're serving. We're not really serving the government. We're not we don't say Caesar is Lord. We say Jesus is Lord. So we don't we're 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 aliens, we're we're um, guests here. But we're and I think it's a statement about the kind of kingdom that the kingdom of God is to submit to authority and say, you know, we're not here to start a bloody uprising to kill all of the elite and take their money. Um, which, you know, is debatable whether that's a good idea or not. I mean, that's a pretty controversial. <laughs> but, but, I mean, I'm sorry to say that. that was it's a toss-up. <laughs> this, this is what I want to say. I just know that there's people that we have conversations about communism and stuff. And whatever. This is true. <laughs> but I want to say this. I want to say that, that you know, it, it said that this, this passage seems to call us to submit to authority as a testimony to them that our kingdom is not of this world and that we believe in a resurrection of the dead and we believe that the, the powerful and the lowly are going to be completely equal before the eyes of God and all of their deeds are going to be open and written down in this book and everyone is going to see everyone else and God is going to judge each person fairly. And so we're saying, you know, I'm going I'm to submit to you. But there's an interesting statement in here. I hate Romans 13, but there's a statement in here that says, um, but also because of conscience. And I think people have been commenting on that. But I feel like there is a limit, and Molly said this too. There is a limit where, where we say, because we're citizens of a different kingdom, because our submission in... In, in whatever that looks like, is a testimony about our actual kingdom that we're actually citizens of. Like, there's a limit where we say, no, that's not my kingdom. That's not what my Lord and my king wants me to do or wants me to say. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's the built-in sort of fail-safe in this statement is that we actually have something that kicks into a different mode. And, and I guess all the examples that we've mentioned tonight are things that go against conscience. But I just wanted to put in a plug for actual submission as a testimony about our kingdom. I just wanted to insert really quickly, I think it's interesting that the word is submission and not obey. That's, that's the observation I want to make. And this gentleman here has his hand like... Sorry, I'm nervous for my hand. To me, this feels like a recipe for effective resistance, mm-hmm. right? Like, whenever there's someone being hurt by the authorities, <clears throat> it's easy to demonize them. I mean, just to take the example of when it wasn't legal for, you know, gay people to get married, it's easy to say, well, they're different from us. But with people who are, you're privileged, you know, as a person with privilege, like I think about this all the time, how do I be an effective ally? But a person with privilege stands up, and says, you know, I will be the law. I have done nothing to harm you, and I stand in resistance to this. It's that's your power as a person with privilege is to, to speak to others with privilege, right? To to be that effective person. And so, you know, reading this, like I I don't like obeying the law. Um, I really don't. I uh, ever since I was a kid, I was 
I saw authority. You know, I'm the guy who last Jed Kennedy's the bottle drives to work. But I, I read this and I go, hey, maybe I should be a little bit more chill. I mean, because when it comes down to it and they want to take away, you know, someone who is in this country without papers, their argument isn't going to mean anything, but mine will because I, they, they have to bear witness to taking someone who is a citizen who has broken laws and, and drag them off to. Yeah. So, kind of reinforce what Clinton was saying there. I don't know if this is pretty far, but to set out a dissertation committee two days ago on some of the rhetoric of citizenship and what that allows people to do to sort of protest it and power you to do it. And those who aren't citizens, like the premiers and mm-hmm. recipients of DACA who have, who have said, nevertheless, we're going to take the role of citizens and speak up and come out of the shadows and, and blockade things and stand up. Uh, even though we don't technically have that right yeah. of free speech. Um, and so I, I don't know, just to say, like, as we read this, I think most of us in the term read this as people who are, were like Paul, who could have killed us either. And we feel that we have that right, if worse comes to worse, right. to say, here's my passport. Right. Um, you, you know, I have rights. Now, I think we're, that's increasingly under pressure for, for all sorts of people now, but. But um, I guess it, I think it, it's important to realize that that choice to say, oh yeah, I will submit, even though I'm a citizen, even though I can appeal to X, Y, and Z, is, is a privilege. And I was just thinking about the day we got immigrants on Thursday. Friend of mine has still posted that he fired 11 people in his restaurant uh, because they didn't show up. And he said it's cause and effect, you know. Um, and so, you know, we're reading these. You know, we saw a solidarity <laughs> during the time, I think, but others who were saying, no, well, you, you know, you don't show up, you don't get work, and good luck. Um, hmm. with, without much of appeal, without much of, you know, to turn to after that choice. Um, so I don't know, I don't know that there's a, I have a, a summary point to that, yeah. as a, but to say that as we read this, I think mostly of us would read this as citizens, like Paul, writing it as a citizen, to say, Respect the authority, you know, go along because we tr- ultimately there's a trust that the system will work for us. Right. So several folks uh, maybe don't have those things. Yeah. yeah, I think that sense of like our choice in and of itself being a privilege is that, that's one I find it really easy to ignore, and I get reminded of, and I go, oh, yeah, like the level at which we are safe is almost. Sneaky and how overwhelming it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Um, to the question of what this looks like, kind of lives out, I just brought to mind Matthew 5, where it talks about, you know, whoever can help you go one mile, go with him too. And that's always been explained to me as these soldiers would ask you to carry mm-hmm. their packs, and they forced you to do it, but you would offer that, no, let me take it too. And mm-hmm. I guess something that I heard from what Molly was saying is that, and I'm kind of wrestling with, is whether, as people of love, we're also, we're trying to convert our oppressor to love. Um, So just ways that we can subvert, fulfill laws, and also subvert them to turn even our oppressor to something that 
And the logic of that, right, like, that starts to flip. If you, if you take that into a given situation or a given context and say, all right, this is the goal, it totally upends so much of what we consider, like, effective resistance, at least, to, yeah, it seems to me. Yeah, Gail. One of the things that I thought about when Molly was talking was how um, I have failed to love the the opposition, my what I view as my political opposition. Mm-hmm. So President Trump and his supporters, um, I have failed to love them, and I do think it's very hard. And, and yeah, that's what I was feeling called to when Molly was talking, and. Um, you know, I, I see them as people who've made up their minds and they're not open to reasoning and they're, I could not win an argument with them or convince them otherwise, but if I truly love them, then it can open up um, some honest communication. Yeah. And, and to, I, I've thought about this so much and I think, I think I've talked to a lot of folks in this room who have built-in really thick <laughs> connections of one kind or another with people you might not see every day but you are not going to be able to dismiss who are across the political aisle in a dramatic way and it feels like this yeah it's like I've described like this Jonah Nineveh sort of like oh I'm okay I think that's what I'm supposed to do now and I don't know how to do it and it seems like the not knowing how, and my, it get, it's easy for me to equate the not knowing how with, okay, well, who knows how to do that? So, yeah. Oh, no way to. Look at you, you're right in front of me. <laughs> you moved. I have a, like a question about the love ethic. Because when that is brought into those who protest, like you are already told how to protest. So, um, because like everyone takes up Martin Luther King Jr. as the hero of the struggle, this is how the struggle should be uh, engaged. And I think for me, I think that's something that needs to be like interrogated a little bit. Um, because the radicals on the other side are demonized and they are violently killed because the state is those are the things that we need to think about as we engage about this uh, that like, it's going to take different forms of engaging the system and I think we need to embrace even those who seem to be tired and violent because the state is the one that is violent. I think that one will need to be like sensitive and engaging a little bit about that uh, and think about it um, and the implication of that. What does the kingdom look like uh, when the other kingdom is, is violent? I, I think that's because the battle is not yours, the battle is the Lord. The Lord is in the battle as well. So, how does that battle look like? Uh, so, I think for me, there's, there's something there that. Uh, it needs to be engaged on uh, past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's my... Thank you. Yeah. Oh. Do you have yeah. Dave. <coughs> so, this, at, 
Not a fully formed story, like summary level to this, but it, it reminded me of my grandfather reading through this because back in like sixth grade, I remember having a <clears throat> an assignment of talking to a grandparent who fought in World War II. And I grew up at the Mennonite church, and so my grandfather was a conscious objector who did not fight in the World War II. And I was the only student who did not have a relative who was there. And so I wrote about his experience as a conscious objector and doing alternative service. Um, and I remember being struck that, that like, the assignment didn't even consider the idea of it. Um, yeah. So as I, was, as I read the, the question today, that just came to my mind of, of somebody who, <clears throat> it took a long, and that wasn't something that has always existed, that took work to get this idea of the conscious objector and the alternative service in place, and there was back and forth, it was a journey to get this alternative that in some sense is a resistance, while still finding a way to work within some system. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great, yeah. Our Mennonite. Yeah, I'm going to bring Mark and the band back up. There is something, this is a hard text on its face, but I think so much of what it makes it hard is, as I think a lot of people have, have poked at this tonight, is this isn't hard if we don't somehow equate our faith with government or our safety as people under American citizenship and so at the point we start to pull those apart all these things we talked about start to become more real and make sense and it feels as like yeah so much is what's hard about this text is is what we bring to it I don't know what the, yeah that's, I don't know if that's a place to end or not but that's yeah why do we think this is such a hard text? Mark, tell us why in a Sorry song. Have you written something to answer my question? I apologize. That was not like the hurry music at the end of the Oscars, you know, like to try to get the people giving speeches to get off stage. The strings come up. and One more thing I want to say. This is a, a song by Mark Cohn, uh, who's one of my favorite singer-songwriters of all time. He wrote, uh, he wrote this album that this is off of. The album is called uh, Join the Parade. And he wrote it uh, in, in sort of response, at least in part, at least some of the songs are written sort of in response to Hurricane Katrina uh, because the amazing music that is in uh, New Orleans. And, and he's particularly influenced by some of the blues and, and stuff that is played there. So I, this song is, is about sort of the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, um, which you'll see in, in one of the verses, especially. But I, I want to draw your attention to like the last verse, uh, or maybe it's, hold on, second to last verse. I don't remember exactly where it is. Um, okay, yeah, it's the verse that says, and the music keeps right on plan, but of all the places water wouldn't fall, it wasn't the churches or the chapels. No, it was down at the Preservation Hall, uh, which is a, a spot in New Orleans where a lot of traditional music uh, happens. The idea that sanctuary, uh, we have talked so much about what it means to be a sanctuary people, um, but, but the idea that that sanctuary happens in sometimes in very unexpected places with very unexpected ways, even with unexpected people.
I think for, for absolution, I was trying to, to think of uh, as much of a, a place of hope, uh, uh, sort of like I hope this is true, uh, as much as I believe that it's true. I, I hope that this is a this is the way the world is actually knit together. Going down this broken road I've found a new world There is no end to good Love is everywhere I go Looking through you is everywhere I go Looking through you Everywhere I go Looking through you Burning light inside my tree I wake up in the dark The light is outside my door Love is everywhere I go Looking through you Looking through you is everywhere I go Looking through you, chasing every fragment I see were talking um, and I was listening and as I was like working on this text um, yeah James was like don't you often get to pick the text why did you choose this one (laughs) which is true but it was really challenging but really good and um, yeah I think we don't need to run from hard text but anyway so I was like listening to you all and thinking about a conversation I had yesterday um, which is not what I wrote down for the table invite so 
But with um, one of my best friends, Pam, I've talked about Pam before. Um, we do Girl State together in Tennessee, Volunteer Girl State, sponsored by the American Legion Auxiliary of America. Um, I joke and say it's the most patriotic week of the year for me. Um, but it was the first place when I was 16 that I saw an entire camp run by women. It's all female-led and run. It was the first space where I was told that my voice mattered and I was to be an engaged citizen because I had that right. And I had to stand up and speak up. But as you can imagine, Pam and I yesterday were talking um, because it's really hard to want to, to willingly go to Tennessee in May in the political climate that we are in. Um, and to hold space and not demonize any of these girls or any of these girls' families or what they are being told in their churches and at home, and to hold space for, I mean, really, we probably are going to have a young woman with a Make America Great Again hat, and right next to her, we are going to have a young woman in a hijab. And... Yeah, like it's just the whole, the whole thing, right? And what do you do? And so Pam and I were talking, and I was telling her about tonight, and Pam's getting her PhD in womanist and African-American studies up in the Northeast, and she's brilliant, and she was just like, Molly, like, I don't know. Do we do this? Like, do we still go and, like, do this thing? Um... And I was thinking about the song of Mark, right? Nothing worth having comes without some kind of fight. You gotta kick at the darkness till it bleeds daylight. So Pam and I were just like sitting there and we're like, if we, if we don't go as some, I mean like, there are definitely more like open-minded counselors that go back. But if all of the counselors who were to say, you know what, peace out, on authority and peace out on this government and peace out. We aren't, go, we aren't spending our vacation and money and flying to Tennessee to empower these young women. Then who's going to do it? And so we've decided we're going and we are in the blunt band, but we're no longer going to be the band. It was kind of like Madonna washed out. Um, but we're subversively, we're going to become the blunt poets. And so, right, it's like girl camp, so everything's decorated. Hello, I make heartfelt banners. So, like, you know that this place is decorated to the nines, and we're going to be the blunt poets, and Pam is determined that we are going to purchase 50 black berets, and we are going to talk about Malcolm X as a poet, right? And, like, we're going to talk about Maya Angelou and Langston Hughes and Mary Oliver, because I have a soft spot, but, like, activism and poetry and how our voices matter. And I don't know, just as you all were talking, like, that's just one little thing, a place that I really want to resist and run from and no longer commit to because I'm not really sure I fully believe in the heart of that program. But it's important to show up in those spaces and for me to not demonize the state and the people that I come from just because they're different than me and think through how are we going to continue to empower young women in the next generation and teach them the broader narrative that they are not hearing in their homes or at school or in church. And I was just thinking how for me with Pam, it's in relationship with others when I can 
remember that we might have to fight, but we aren't fighting alone. We're fighting together. And as we fight together, as people of hope, surely it'll give way to daylight. So I encourage us to come to the table, to have conversation, continued conversation of how are we going to be a sanctuary people, respecting authority yet resisting, yet loving, yet engaging in civil disobedience, all the while not demonizing the other. Um, Because it's in the breaking of bread and the pouring of wine and being reminded, sort of right, like what Brian, like, because of Christ, we are called to be a people of love. We are called to be a people of radical love and resistance that's messy and hard. But we don't do it alone. We have friends that we can talk to on beautiful Saturday afternoons and ask ourselves, how the hell do we live in this world right now? And what does that look like for you and for me? So may the table be one of those spaces for us. Let us come and break bread and pour wine for one another. Say the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. Or you may also say the love of God and the peace of God for you. So let us come with the children to the table and break bread and pour wine.